0: Hello and welcome to Social Justice Matters, a podcast from Social Justice Ireland. I'm Colette Bennett and I'm Economic and Social Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As regular listeners will know, we have three types of podcasts. We have our 10-minute lesson series, which is a brief overview of policy topics that we think people should be aware of. We have our seminar series, which is a look back at our seminars and our conferences and presentations by people such as Anne Pettifor, Tony Fahey, Joe Larragui, and a range of other experts. And then we have our interview series, where we speak to a range of experts on a variety of policy topics. This week's episode is one of those. Today I'm speaking to Helen Ryan, Policy Officer with NALA, the National Adult Literacy Agency. We're talking in advance of International Literacy Day about all things literacy, about COVID, about the digital divide, and about what it means for people into the future. We hope you enjoy it. So, Helen, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you, Colette, and delighted to be here.
0: So as I said in the introduction, um, you're from NALA, the National Adult Literacy Agency. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, what it does, why it was established in the first place?
1: Yeah, well, NAD was established back in uh, the 1980s and we came from AINTHIS, which would be our sister organisation, um, who were looking after sort of adult education and adult literacy was coming up a lot at their meetings and discussion-based. And so really, I suppose what happened was a break-off a uh, number of people on the adult literacy issue said, you know what, we really need, you need your own organisation now to be lobbying on this. It's, uh, and we were sort of a shoot-off um, of AINTHIS back in the day at the time. We started with literally volunteers, we then slowly got a bit of a budget from the government. It was a half a worker, one and a half workers, the usual piece as it moves on, and um, to eventually being able to sustain um, a director and some admin staff and get some funding from government. And I suppose we're still here, forty. Uh, One years later, unfortunately, in one sense, we were Mm -hmm. not set up, I think, to have as long a life as we have. But I suppose through the years we've evolved from bringing the issue to the forefront. That's our main thing would be raising awareness, letting people know that literacy is an issue and then supporting adults who would like to go back to improve their reading, writing or numbers and digital at the minute. So I suppose everything has evolved very interestingly over the last number of years. We would have a much larger staff now We've about 22 staff an office based in in Dublin um, and again back we're still raising awareness and we're still lobbying and working sort of to support learners to uh, access a a good literacy opportunity and um, hopefully improve their skills.
0: And in terms of some of the things that you do, like I know certainly growing up, you would have seen ads for the, the read right now. And, you know, I know you do training with with organizations because I would have taken some of the training with some of the organizations I worked with in the past. Um, can you just give us a little bit of a, a flavor of the breadth the of your work?
1: Absolutely. So, I suppose the first thing would be learners. They're our key center of everything because we're very student centered and learner centered. So, we have a whole piece of work around um, empowering learners, hearing their voice. And that's what you heard through things like the radio ads that we put out and TV ads around the September mark for International Literacy Day. And uh, then we would have TV series, like you just mentioned, as well, and radio series in in a broader level. So, students' voice is always incorporated into that. We would have a student subcommittee. We try and then we always make sure that we have student voice in our work and we would have student representatives on the board. And then from that, I suppose the next thing we would try and work on would be with um, practitioners. So we came from the practitioner base. So tutors supporting their work, um, the sixteen ETBs, Education and Training Boards around the country, doing great work. And um, a hundred literacy centres with uh, organisers and practitioners. And we would very much try and put on training over the years. We run webinars. Uh, we devise guides and anything that can really support their practice. And we work closely with our funder. Would be solace to do that. And then on the other side, then, we would work with um, services. So exactly the same working. So we would work with frontline um, and front-facing staff, like Intrio staff, um, hospital staff. I do a lot of health literacy work and raising awareness. So we would go into organisations previously, covid face-to-face and at the minute online and run awareness training events and let people know what is literacy what and then what they can do because lots of people are nervous oh what will i do if someone can't fill in a form and i need that form today so we would help them with what they can say and how to make someone comfortable um, and understanding that so plain english will be another plain language as well a key part of our, our work so we do a lot of different pieces and then we would do the underlying pieces then around that are raising awareness of all of that doing research and. All of that. And then our big piece of sort of our advocacy and lobbying, um, which we're probably unusual in that we are a charity and we are funded by um, the Department of Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation, and Science through SOLUS there's a mouthful, um, <laughs> but we would still work sort of closely with them and lobby in to say, look, we need more investment in family literacy or we need more investment in intensive programmes and so on. So we have that relationship, um, which we, we will be quite unusual, I suppose, in the in in the NGO and in the community sector to have that type of structure and, and working relationship.
0: And isn't there a, an obligation on the state, certainly on government departments, to have plain English, to have, you know, that that plain language use in their their front facing documents.
1: Yeah, well, we would have um, lobbied on that and got as far as in the last all term, um, um, a bill produced by two, T- uh, a TD and a senator, um, but it didn't make it through then when government fed it, it fell at stage two. So that would have made it an absolute commitment if, if that had been passed. So I suppose, again, our work is we constantly deal with all of government departments, we lobby in, we do guidelines, we do training. They then, we've been editing in Plain English Service where they will give us a document and they will pay us to do that. but. None, and we've explained this and said this to government. None of that is very strategic, hence why we wanted to try and put in place longer term measures. And we've worked very closely, actually, with the Department of um, Public Expenditure and Reform deeper. So they have got a guide now that they use. They have training in place that they do. But again, what happens is it it, it is only in some departments and not in others. So we lobbied in the last election time. So in the program of government commitment this time, they, they are looking at putting in a plain language requirement requirement. Now it didn't say as far as an act um, or a bill. So we're, we're, I suppose, uh, working with them now with the strategy, the 10-year strategy will be launched next week. We'll see what plain English commitment is in that. And I think from that and discussion with the department, we'll be back in again saying we want, and if we can't get, then we'll say, well, we may have to go and and begin to look at, at needing a bill or an act again.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned there that, you know, the International Literacy Day is in September, it's the 8th of September. In terms of where Ireland is now, like so you started back in the 80s. What What are the trends? What are we looking at in terms of literacy here?
1: So we're looking at, I suppose, the the big um, statistic that came out in the late 90s. So we always knew there was an issue in the 80s. It was said, a lot of denial. Oh, you're the best saints and scholars. Of course, we couldn't be doing that. And even some shocking stuff coming out at the time from previous ministers of education saying, you know, only people who can't be taught, you know, couldn't learn to read. So very, um, you know, unevidenced stuff at the time. But slowly we were pushing and going through. And in the 90s, eventually, Ireland participated in the International Adult Literacy Survey. So that result came out in 98. And people remember then it was one in four adults were struggling um, with reading basic text, everyday text that you and I might pick up, a leaflet or a bus timetable, a medicine label. And that was shocking. And so straight away, in all fairness, the government at the time believed the, the, the OECD results. Not every government in Europe believed it. So they chose to blindside it. Our government did believe it and invested very rapidly in funding from the nineteen, you know, the the, the very late nineties. So we went through sort of the beginning of the the two thousands with more funding, more investment, and more people returning to learning. So, but we didn't test and do another survey if you like until 2012 so we did, uh, had a gap but in 2012 two two really striking things one our literacy levels were still one in six but they were less than one in four so okay it was an 18 percent of adults um which is still quite high And in, in the work that I do as I said with frontline um and front-facing staff like if you say to people I work with pharmacists a lot and I'd say to them you know today in your pharmacy and um, if you've got 100 people come over your door 18 of those people will struggle with the prescription you may give them you know so it is still quite high and a worry so we've, we've 18 but we never had a numeracy statistic before and we got that in 2012 and that told us that uh one in four so we've actually got three quarters of a million people which is a lot will struggle with working a bill out um if they went to the shop with only 20 euros would they be quickly able to work out how, you know, their shopping baskets, so they're not embarrassed at the the counter having um, not got enough money to cover it. So it was quite um, good to have that, but worrying around numeracy. And numeracy is still a bit of the Cinderella of the literacy service, because we tend to focus more on reading and writing, and the numeracy sort of comes in at the side. So I think we're hoping to get a much bigger focus on that. And then the digital came into play for the first time ever. So that statistic was so shocking. I think it was just we can't even think about it at the time because it was like 42 percent of adults will struggle with um, problem solving using technology. Now, there's other results come out since then over the years, and we're still not great. We're in that 40 to 50 percent of people will struggle with many issues around the technology. Include and many of those issues around accessing email, writing emails, going onto the internet, finding information. Literacy is a part of that. So you need good reading skills and um, critical thinking skills to really begin to look at some of the digital stuff as well. So it's it, we find it's quite interlinked.
0: And we've become such a digital society. I mean, obviously COVID has had an impact, but even before that, you know, we were going to, we were getting rid of bank branches. So we were going to kind of online banking. We were going to cashless societies. We were going to, you know, our, our bills being online rather than getting them in the post. It was a huge, there was a huge transition and certainly even the ego of strategies around putting more government services online that had a, a huge impact on, on people. Um, And just speaking, I suppose, of of that impact, you know, when you talk about like the the one in four in terms of of the the numeracy. um, And I remember seeing a really powerful, very short video that was done by the EAPN, I think back in 2010. um, And it talked about the the mental maths and it was a, a woman walking around with her trolley. Uh, in the supermarket and she's gone right so that's 83p and that's it that's another, that's another 40 on top of that and just trying that that kind of I suppose that that link between numeracy and literacy and social deprivation and poverty around trying to kind of do that mental math trying to avoid as you say that embarrassment at the tip to make sure that you know you have what you need um are there has there any been anything been done any research been done around the wider impact on the household of say a head of household having literacy or or numeracy issues
1: there are some pieces I suppose around over the years it's Literacy, um, we would do some research ourselves on particular areas and we would look into family literacy and the impact on the family. And um, We're doing a piece on financial um, more in-depth this time. We would have done some in the past. And then I suppose other NGOs that would have done um, pieces, thinking of the Vincentian Partnership, would have looked at pieces there. And then debt literacy comes into their um, into their research but wouldn't necessarily be the focus of going in at it so now sort of the one who goes does the does the research on literacy and health literacy and money literacy and whatever but other organisations will do it on the health or the thing and then literacy comes up as an issue um, but certainly and literacy is supposed to be very clear as well that we, literacy is linked to, to, to poverty quite strongly it's hugely linked to inequality so we know that when you look at the systems and the causes and the reasons why a lot of it is because people don't have access to things that other people do so there's an inequality base built in from the very beginning of and depending where perhaps where you live the family circumstances the supports that you can get as you are as a child even going through the schooling system all impacts then on on everything and I think what you mentioned there about money is really important as well because for people who are struggling to live on you know basic social welfare payments as well we all know sometimes the better deals in life are when you can bulk buy they can't afford to bulk buy or the better deal to get your esb bill might be to pay online but they haven't the skills or the access to go online and do this so there's an often hidden you know another level there where a literacy barrier and a money barrier together are just stopping people being able to access and just get above every up to the level where there's a there's an easier playing field for everyone to to build from so it is we certainly in the last number of years we're trying to look at the whole building equality um issue in and, and literacy skills will help that
0: Yeah. Um, And then, you know, I I kind of took it to one side. We're bringing it back in because we can't do any any sort of policy or podcast or anything at all. We're talking about COVID this weather. Um, Obviously, there's been an impact on learning across the board, from school closures and, and universities going online. But in terms of adult learning, in terms of literacy in particular, what impact has COVID had?
1: So the first impact back when it happened in in March, um, you know, 18 months ago now was literally all classes stopped. So literacy classes take place in the main through the 16 education and training boards, as I said, and locally about 60,000 adults in the last that 2019 were participating, going in, sometimes in the morning, afternoon or evening classes, all going fine, uh, face to face, great work, small groups. NALA provides some phone tutoring um, also for about maybe up to 300 people a year. And we have some online, um, you can learn online through an interactive website. And again, DTBs would use that. But in the main, the 60,000 people were going in and meeting their tutor face to face. And that all stopped that march, just finished, gone. And so bit by bit, what happened was the tutors were still there and, and being paid within their roles. So they began ringing people. And phoning them, and where people had skills or were comfortable with digital, they might have moved some of them on to the maybe a Zoom call over time. But often, what was happening starting off was you'd have a chat with your learner. Last week, we were working on that. Right, look, I'm going to get you a few worksheets here now, or however that might have worked. Even with what tutors had even access to in full lockdown, you were probably really only talking to people and and doing stuff, and then posting them. So we were actually like a correspondence course, posting people things in the post and ringing them. And going through it with them so it, it wasn't ideal it still isn't the the classes um did try and come back then in that window probably was last September remember things got tried to get back a little bit and they happened in different ways some outside some inside with all the protections in place then we went down again so it, it the the one positive I suppose that has come from everyone's life but for learning life is that people were sort of catapulted from I can't do that, possibly, and a bit of a mind block. I know I was, myself, even with the Zooms and the, these podcasts and stuff, and now I, I'm much more comfortable. But they were just catapulted into, if I have to do something, I'm going to have to go and do it online. Um, but again, what we talked about earlier, did everyone have a smartphone? Does everyone have a tablet? Do they have access to broadband? All of those things. And for those that didn't, they didn't get that opportunity, so we have lost them somewhere temporarily, we hope, and let's try get them back in. And for some people, they were able to have access to those resources and they did jump quicker probably into the online. And we've been able that certainly the local schemes have, they've done Zoom groups, You know, they've really tried to continue whatever works for people. And I suppose with the hope now that the classes are looking to resume towards the end of September now in the different formats and the different ways. So it has been a a challenging time. We had a lot of phone calls on our free phone line when we put it out there. And they were immediate issues with literacy, numeracy and digital. So, oh, my God, I need to fill in that. Um, the PUP, the, the unemployment form, um, and I struggle with that. And we could try help them with that over the phone. Or someone ring, um, I got a COVID leaflet in the post. It's telling me two metres. What's two metres? You know, I'm trying. So uh, simple things that... Uh, but just you get caught on it because you're trying to just understand what's been said to us. So we were helping. And we I mean, had a lot of parents who rang us too around, I think that homeschooling we've all blotted it out in our mind as a, <laughs> a distant past that we never want to go back to. But we, we, we had people, you know, ring on. Oh, I don't know what's expected. And it was a, the schools were challenged by how they communicated with the parents. And then the parents were challenged, all of us, regardless of literacy, I think on how to work with your children around that stuff. So we just tried to put people at ease and say, look, don't be worrying you know the main thing is everyone's safe and just do some general learning that you're comfortable with in the house and go back to the school and see where there were some some supports there so it was definitely a challenging time and we want to we'll all look back and take our learnings but there have been a couple of interesting things that we hope will continue on and and the digital is certainly an element of that um, into the future
0: yeah, I mean, you raise a really interesting point, and it's something I I hadn't really thought about until you were talking there, so it's something you're not prepared for when I ask this question. But, um, like, I work with words all the time. I would be fairly okay in terms of of, of literacy and, and, and numeracy and all of those things. I have very small children, so their educational needs were basic enough in terms of, of the literacy and the numeracy stuff. But do you think, were there many new people contacting you that maybe had children at second level school who probably didn't feel that they had to engage all that much while they were working and the kids were in school. But now there's that concentration on homeschooling and the parents were being asked to support and asked to help out a bit more. Do you think that there were were people who kind of for the first time kind of thought, well, actually, maybe I need a bit of support in this?
1: Yeah, and that probably would have been a little bit more with the the primary tends to be because they're looking for the help. But what okay. seemed to happen with secondary school, we, we we always get a couple of parents with secondary and the secondary school situation usually ringing where the child maybe is falling behind a little bit or is struggling with some of the issues like dyslexia or dyspraxia, and they're looking to know where they go and we refer them into you know the organisations that, that that look at that. But really, it seemed to be that in secondary school, it they they chugged along with the online lesson stuff and whatever, and um, so unless. there were markers coming up we didn't hear too much from parents at, at that demographic but we did from the from the primary school because that's the one where if your child was in first class and was trying to do multiplication and they were struggling with addition, you and you were there going because I have no idea what to make out of this. Um, it, it was challenging. So the, the and you as a parent were given we were certainly given grids and rules and things to get them into it. But you also needed a tablet, which. Um, for the work we were trying to, to do. And that's a big issue with how many of them do you have in the house? Have you access to broadband? What can you do? So I would definitely be worried about um and I, and even be worried about And the teaching world have said this as well even worried about how that's been assessed now and caught up on so where people may have slightly regressed and everyone regressed a little i think they said right the reading wasn't as fluent the maths mightn't have been back up to scratch again but i'm trying to say well how's that being assessed now and then where there are gaps they need to be filled really quickly. You um, you know, you, Like everything they say at about eight or nine years of age, if the child is struggling, Need you know, get it in now and let's help and get that on track. Because as classes move on, if you didn't get the concept like a fraction or something like that, you're going to struggle possibly with decimals or with something else further down the line. So uh, it, it is a concern. I know parents did feel a little bit um, anxious over all of it. Am I doing it right? Am I doing this? And then their own skills came into question around I just am not able to to support that. And even digitally, we had people who would have struggled with, I don't know how I'm working with these apps like Seesaw and different things. Um, So, I mean, really a lot of time we were listening to people, we were encouraging them, we were saying, don't worry, we're all in this. You know, lots of us are struggling with this too. And then where there was a literacy need or or a numeracy need, we might have been able to help support them through our free phone and our tutoring service. And then again, sort of putting them in touch with the local centres because really nothing beats that face-to-face Group interaction um, and hopefully people can begin to those get those classes now come September.
0: Yeah, we had class dojo, um, and like even the teachers themselves were saying, you know, we're new to this. We don't know how to upload a video, but we'll let you know when we've uploaded a video. And then the request was, well, can you upload a video back to us? I like I don't know how to upload a video either. <laughs> so like and like because I walk at my laptop quite a lot, when the kids had to do their classroom. I was in the background trying to, you know, with the pen and the paper trying to do my own work. But it was, you know, it it was challenging all around. It was just something that struck me in terms of, well, if you've never really had to engage that much and then it's kind of put on you, like you say, you've got the grids to print out and you've got a child coming to you saying, can you give me a hand with this? It might be the first time you've really been presented with, actually, I don't know, I don't I I can't figure this out and I know a friend of mine who had older children was saying like they've changed how they do fractions (laughs) I don't know how to do this anymore um so it's you know it it came with a a huge amount is any of it quantifiable in terms of I know you were talking about you know that there's been advances so some people were just kind of forced into this is the digital world if you have access to it and you can make any sort of a stab at it then you're doing it and they kind of hit the ground running and, and, and started to do it. Um, is there any of it that's quantifiable, both in terms of those kind of gains or in terms of any types of losses where people might have fallen out of the system that might have been in programmes?
1: Yeah, and in terms of stu- um, small people or, or children or in terms of the
0: adults? In terms of uh, across the board, but I was really more thinking adults.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose this is. It'll be interesting. I mean, as I think we're chatting about, statistics are a a challenging and a hard thing, and data. And I mean, I do know the ETBs would have trying to gather some of that data because we're interested to know you know we there were are 60,000 people beforehand wh- who do we have now on the books you know and mm. um, I know as I said we roughly help uh, 300 on the phone every year and that would have been 200 one year and it went up in COVID we got more calls so they, they would have to number crunch that and see from what basis are we beginning with now and probably we lost people who we may never see and um, which is awful but for many people who might have sort of said I can't wait to get back and kept in touch through phone calls and different things we would hope that they will come in and I suppose the exciting side of the um, programme for government committing to literacy and the new strategy that's going to be published in the next week is that there hopefully be a real big new energy around adult literacy. We've got to look at this like Healthy Ireland was looking at behavioural change so we would like to see um, you know whether we get our celebrities and our ministers and the public like hug a book or hug a bit of you know whatever it may be we'll all come together to measure our our numeracy bmi version or something because it, it also needs one of the really it was very sad to read it again but they Sullis did do some research about and asked people in the public uh, had they literacy um, challenges and numeracy challenges and if they did why would they go back and we're still seeing fear stigma, embarrassment. So people are not coming forward for those reasons. You know, we thought, oh, mm. here are we. we've done great work. We've been doing radio and television in the past, and we need to do more of that going forward. So we need a big campaign, You know, like the big yeah. smoking campaigns, the big Healthy Ireland campaigns, one of those big campaigns that just breaks it down for people and normalizes it, which our ads do, but we need bigger than NALA. NALA is only a very small, important entity and charity that works in this area. But what we've managed to do really successfully um, over the last number of years, is we've managed to take literacy from just one, we were working with nine government departments. So we were, it's not just an education issue literacy is a family issue so that's the Department of Education that's after schools it's a health issue over to the Department of Health it's an employment and unemployment issue so we need to work with social protection around that it's a financial issue for people that so you mentioned digital so you need to work with the Department of Finance and think it's a li- it's a community issue libraries and um, all of the community rural situations over there and um, and there's a couple of other departments I just probably forgot so we're nine departments so what we manage with the new strategy is that Many departments have roles now and not just one. So if we can sort of try and divide it up, we stand a better chance of achieving greater literacy levels then, because you're not going to get everyone to say, oh, can't wait to go back now and prove my spelling and do a bit of creative writing or whatever. But hold on, I'm actually in hospital. I've just been diagnosed with um, something that's manageable here, but there's a lot of reading around it. So I need now, my diet has changed. I need it. So we need to work with the health services to make sure what they deliver is in plain English and that the individual who might have to read or let's say it's diabetes check their their blood count and work something out help them with those skills so it's literacy for life really it's that immediate I need help with doing something now and if we can achieve that in the next 10 years I think that would be really good break down the stigma embarrassment we all struggle with these things depending where we are and then help people at the point that they're at
0: yeah I mean you're right in terms of of normalizing it and it's like I I would know people who had who would struggle with, with literacy and numeracy and it is that embarrassment it's okay amongst family or amongst friends but you wouldn't be talking about it down the pub god if we ever get to a pub or you wouldn't be you know you wouldn't want people to notice in the shops um and it's all very much you know the, the, the kind of jam jar um budgeting and you making sure that you've got exactly enough for your rent or for your groceries or for whatever um And just even, you know, when you talk about the numbers, like you're so you're still looking at one in four on the maps and the numeracy. You're still looking at one in six uh, around literacy. You're looking at two in in five around digital. Like this is not a small problem. This is a this this is affecting quite a large proportion of the population. And you're right. I mean, it does need that kind of let's get it all out in the the open air because that's the only way to do something about it.
1: Yeah. And actually, I'll give you another really interesting statistic that throws... Government and the departments, when they hear it as well, is that we and the CSO—this is CSO data—you um, know—looks and says, "Oh, there's there's a, about four hundred thousand people that don't have um, a, a leaving cert or less, so that they, they don't have that. They have a junior cert." Um, the, and when you actually break that down, that's about two, over just over two hundred thousand people, two hundred seventeen thousand people in work. Will not have that qualification. And the qualification, no lower no qualifications are linked to literacy, numeracy needs. Because if you're not in a job as a minute where you're practicing these all the time, we de-skill. I mean, I studied Irish for 14 years and then I never used it the minute I left school. And I'm ashamed to say if I watch TG Carter, I have to put on the subtitles. Because I don't understand it, so uh, you can imagine for people who left school could read a little, do the bit of writing if they had to, but then never practice it again, and just you get out of the ability to do that. And people find that very hard to understand. But I said, but you—that's because you fluently do it every day, and it's just like you know, it's waking up to you. And you, but for people who they never just got that, it is—it is going to be hard. So we've got two hundred seventeen thousand people in work who need upskilling too. So the good news is the data is there. The good news is the evidence and the research is there to say what works. So even if we just looked at it from four places, we go in and support people in work with literacy needs and help them there. We look at people with families. So that's the whole family literacy, help people from when they're pregnant, from when their children are in preschool and right through primary. There's many ways to support parents through that there and then we look at health I mentioned health big issue lots of us will engage with the health services and do that and then the last one is the community and you know and all those aspects sport the GAA all of these organizations and places we're in is there a way of trying to bring literacy into into a lot of that and if we just even looked at those four areas in the next number of years I think we could make a really big impact in supporting more people to get higher levels and just be more resilient. The other piece of work that we had done actually just pre-COVID was linking literacy to resilience and capability and being able to, you know, respond better. And then COVID came. So in all fairness, when we look at, when we do look back and someone reflects back to the behavioural it was very interesting what the behavioural studies were it is very interesting what the vaccine uptake has been and things like misinformation and disinformation have been discounted a lot in Ireland thankfully and we've got some good clear messages from the Department of Health and also from the media that everyone thinks actually contributed to our way of dealing with it because when people did stick to the rules people have gone and opted for a vaccine so we have to believe that that's because stuff was communicated clearly, not always through writing, thankfully. So there were radio ads, there were the TV had it. a bit overkill sometimes, but we're in a place now where a much better place than I think we would have thought. And so I think there's a lot there that we can build on now. And the government certainly sees the need for better literacy skills, because if we and numeracy and digital in particular, um, I think there's a great way of of building on that now for, God forbid, whether it's climate or the next pandemic, we just need to be ready and have these skills in our toolbox.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned the the new strategy that's due to be published. Like, What are the, the main policies that would support? So you've talked about the kind of areas you want to get into, but what kind of policies would make a real impact there? And I know you yourselves had initiatives last year in terms of around COVID and information there, but what would work? What do you want to see?
1: We want to see a cross government and an interdepartmental approach, and that's in the strategy. They've committed to that. So, was very much when they were given the job to write the strategy up, it's actually stated that that wasn't something that was up for grabs. It was like, we want a cross departmental strategy, which is very positive. So, that is going to be there. Um, we needed a minister to, to lead it. Again, we said that we spoke to many NGOs and civil servants over the years who told us if you want this to work, you, you need a lead minister on this who's buying into it and, and selling it and, and owning it. So we we have that, the, you know, chair share uh, an interdepartmental group and then you have your actions underneath. And what the actions are that we need, it's probably it's going right back to those four again. We need um, w- w- one of the key things we need, actually, is w- we need learners to have a better option than to to six hours a week so at the minute if you were going back and that's what was there pre-COVID at, 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 now you could you could get up to 15 hours if you were lucky enough to get on a back to education initiative programme but again it just it, it seemed so small and took so long we people for five, six years within the literacy service to become fully able to read or do things it needs to be and yet we'd have people ring us on the phone and say, I have a week off next week at work is there a class is there a week's class I can go to and we didn't have that so our service now needs to respond with much more intensive um you know flexible and interesting ways to learn using digital as part of the on the face-to-face so if you've got nice uh, sort of options and opportunities for learners to come in then go to the places I was saying let's go and look at the workplace what can we deliver in there and we give people paid learning leave to come and do this I would we believe in targeted paid learning leave so and particularly the SMEs just do it it just for the we can drill it right down to a very specific group of people who are going to struggle which is a small and medium enterprise to release a worker but we pay them to do that and we get that employee upskilled pretty quickly period of time and then they go back in and everything's better The productivity of the job and their ability to think about maybe promotion or other things within within the job. So certainly workplace policies and and focus in there. Family is a huge one. I mean, we need a family literacy policy for both government departments, Department of Further and Higher Education and and the, the, the General Department of Education with the schools. And that's about... Um, You know, even raising awareness, it's amazing, even two years ago at a teaching, you know, a literacy conference with teachers there, teachers were astounded that there were one in six of their parents would struggle. What? I don't believe that. And then they sat back and went, oh, but sure, of course, when homework is, you know, not being supported in some families and others, maybe it's because the parents didn't have the skills or were too nervous or not able to do that. So, again, we need really to look at the family literacy, which is a huge one. Um, I think health literacy, and we've a lot of good work with the Department of Health at the minute, and there's a new survey coming out in October on that. So I think we that's just about liaising and keep going on the health. And then the other lovely one, which is the community one, really is the great potential. You know, what can the libraries do? What can the MAP centres do? What can the GAA do? The Rugby? the running, the boxing, any of the sporting activities where there may be needs, they can help us with breaking down the stigma, normalising it, and then maybe we can look at putting some interventions in place where we can support um people to do it like if I'm freezing on a Saturday morning at the side of a football pitch could I've been inside if I'm allowed brushing up on something while you know your kids out playing their game of, of whatever so just again being innovative and different around how to look at this I think will, would make a difference.
0: and finally um you know you've got that kind of overarching strategy you' you know you know the asks that you want specifically around this year for budget 2022 because the the strategy has been published very close to budget time we're talking kind of four to five weeks in advance um what would you ask for in terms of the the budget
1: well certainly the the first thing is if this strategy is going to be delivered as it is anticipated it is going to need um and they're putting in proposing structures you know the program offices staff Um, Even the tutoring staff at the minute need to look at how their structures and pay and conditions are. So there needs to be a a set amount of money for that initial piece of setup. Um, And then really it is around provision. I mean, it's all about provision. There never was enough. And the ETBs would say things like, you know, we we can do it, but we're stuck. So the the capacity issue again. um, And that also may be about training up more tutors. You know, we have to take this seriously. The tutors aren't on full-time um, not the, most of them are on sort of part-time contracts. We need to look at, can we, how is that the best use of resources? Should we have full-time tutor contracts? We come in and we can then move people tutors between different groups as is needed. So a big really overview and, and look at this and take that strategy now and make it happen. And that's going to require bodies, if you like. And we all say, oh, they've so it's between the, the systems and structures will need investment and then absolutely the tutoring hours and the provision because that's really the key piece is having for every awareness campaign and we can go into the minister and say give us x um hundred thousand for an awareness campaign and that's going to happen because it's part of the plan but there's no point in having an awareness campaign if you have nothing to come into So we need to have the capacity built up locally so that um, the person who will ring the phone and say, I want to go back and do my maths or I'd love to go and learn how to send emails that we can say, brilliant, here's somebody now down in Cork or Kerry or Sligo who we're linking in with straight away and you're going to get a call back and a course hopefully can start for you in, you know, the X number of weeks or days.
0: Fantastic. Um, With that, thank you so, so much, Helen. It's been an absolute pleasure that is. Helen Ryan of NALA, thank you very, very much. Thanks, Glad. We hope you enjoyed this episode, which we made for International Literacy Day on the 8th of September. As always, please don't hesitate to get in touch on secretary at socialjustice.ie if you have any queries or any suggestions for podcasts you'd like to hear into the future. And do check out our website, www.socialjustice.ie for resources and analysis around education, around adult literacy, around lifelong learning, and a range of other policy areas. Thank you for listening. Until next time, stay safe.